Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. Do the Oscars still matter? Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. I mean, they matter more than the Golden Globes do. I think people still want a list. You know, you know that's sort yeah. of, I mean, since the Ten Commandments, everyone's wanted a list. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands begins now. <laughs> And hello again, everybody. I'm Arch Campbell, and here we are on the podcast that tries to make sense of the ever-changing world of entertainment. And uh, Lou Katz of Hound Radio is in the control room making it all happen. And Lou, I just want to say at the holiday time, I love you, baby, and I really mean it. I know, and I love you too, and I love everyone, and uh, happy holidays to all. And uh, I don't want to uh, curb your enthusiasm, but... My cold is still here, <laughs> four weeks, and you just got a bite of it too, Arch, right? Don't you down there? Just a, just a little touch, yeah. just, you know, in uh, in uh, keeping with you. Thank you. Just Thank in, you very uh, much. In harmony with Lou Katz. And, well, speaking of harmony today, uh, we feature two of my favorite film savants. First, coming all the way from Los Angeles, entertainment reporter, People Magazine correspondent, film professor it's our good friend oliver jones yeah oliver Whoa. thank you for being Morning. here today happy I'm holidays very happy to have neither of your colds <laughs> <laughs> and joining oliver just for the fun of it the entertainment editor of wtop radio and one of my all-time favorite guys and he knows it jason fraley jason. and jason yeah, I love you all, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so much for the love fest portion. Now let's get down to business. First, what are you guys watching? Oliver, what are you watching these days? Just for well, fun. I, I don't know if you know this about me, Arch, but I don't have fun. Uh, <laughs> I pretty much have gotten that out of my life. Uh, yes, I have and I really it. like that about you. Yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> I have seen, I've reviewed four movies in the last seven days, uh, all of which I have seen in a movie theater. Um, wow. So I have really, I kind of feel like I've been through the trenches. Fortunately, I don't know what the situation is here. You can't walk into a movie theater complex without showing your vaccine card and your ID out here in LA. Yeah. So that makes me feel better, but they don't necessarily wear their masks all the way through the reviews. So I'm thinking about that. And then when you're stressed out about that, does that kind of factor into what you think of the movie, you know, and it all kind of affects, uh, but like, you know, like you guys, I've been watching uh, lots and lots and lots of movies as, as we have, uh, my, as my critics group has done a, um, uh, their end of the year uh, voting matchups. So now when all those movies are over, uh, it's on to uh, all the PBS crime dramas that I have missed uh, while watching movies. So Okay, uh, well, now we're going to get into the movies and we're going to get into the current movie situation, but I like to hit streaming first because yeah, that so gets I, more I, people. I've been watching um, uh, uh, basically just every crime drama on, uh, on PBS um, <laughs> and um, uh, Baptiste, uh, the two seasons of Baptiste was the ones that I just got caught up on. So, you know, I'm the kind of guy that likes the most violent show on public television. 
Uh, yeah, that's what this, I look for. That's fine. <laughs> We're going to hope that you can conquer that in 2022. Meantime, <laughs> Jason, what are what are you watching just for fun? Honestly, the the just for fun streaming shows have taken a back seat for me lately with the pile of screeners. I've just been binging those award screeners for most of the the last month or so. And again, I'm I'm sure you all agree. There's still a couple couple that I wish you know I still want to get to some foreign films and docs and stuff like that but yeah just piling through that 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 pile and plunging through that pile and uh, I guess my escape has just been watching the Washington football team the Taylor Heineke story which was great for four weeks and has not been so great lately we had the whole pretty much the whole team out with COVID last night <laughs> in our loss against the Eagles but that's what I've been watching for fun okay so clearly this wants to be a movie podcast before we <laughs> Before we charge into that, I want to put in a plug for a show on HBO Max called The Landscapers with Olivia oh, yeah. Coleman. And it's uh, based on the true story of a couple in England who uh, killed uh, her parents, buried them in the backyard, got away with it for 15 years, and finally uh, came in and uh, turned themselves in. Yesterday morning. <laughs> Two bodies were found buried in the back garden of a house. The more we run, the more guilty we'll see. We cannot confirm the circumstances under which they came to be buried in that location. It's just you and me. It has given me new uh, appreciation of Olivia Coleman. You know, she won the Oscar for that movie, The Favorite, which I just thought was was a little bit too nutty for its own good. But I think she's a wonderful actress, and this is an excellent uh, four-part series on HBO Max. So if you're looking around for something, uh, watch The Landscapers and uh, let me know what you think of it. Yeah, the and, I, the con the whole concept of burying people out in the in the flower bed re remind me of Rear Window. Remember, uh, Jimmy Stewart yeah, looks at the exactly. different uh, images, it's, and the flowers are just a little bit shorter in the same. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, they produce it really uh, well. They throw uh, the main characters out of the linear path of the story, and suddenly they're uh, participating in the narrative themselves. And uh, and I'm I'm really wowed by it. It's the first thing I've been wowed by in a long time. And before we finish with TV, can we have a word about Saturday Night Live? Did anybody see their last minute show Saturday Night? Oliver, you're shaking your head. I, I hate to tell you this, uh, Arch, but um, I used to be too cool to watch Saturday Night Live because I uh. went out. Now I'm 50 and I just go to bed. Uh, so, uh, so I missed it this week, but I certainly followed the drama uh, that was unfolding while we were um, doing our uh, Los Angeles phone critics vote that day. And um, how did it look? What was it like? Yeah, they did a last minute show because they sent the cast home Saturday afternoon and uh, it was Tom Hanks and uh, Paul Rudd and uh, uh, Kenan Thompson oh, and Tina Fey. Yeah, good to uh, see you, kiddo. Oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thanks for coming. I'm extremely disappointed. It looked last minute. And I didn't think it was very good. In fact, I thought it was a mistake. And it's just um, making me think more and more that Saturday Night Live is becoming generic. And they think that we'll all watch whatever they do. And so I've said my piece. <laughs> well, I <laughs> think one good thing about this, 
and watching watching a sort of messed up Saturday Night Live does is is a way to maybe convince people of what a serious situation that we're in right now. You know, and and obviously we're dealing with a lot of fatigue on this on this issue. And maybe a moment like that is a moment for people to kind of recognize. But then again, as I say that, you know, I go to the movie theater the next day and nobody's wearing their masks. So who the heck knows? Okay, so now by popular demand, let's get into movies. <laughs> and first of all, uh, let's talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal. That was when you found out. So, Scooby-Doo this crap. You know, all oh, this is kind of your mess. I know a couple of magic words myself, starting with the word please. Please, Scooby-Doo this crap. Had a massive box office uh, opening, and what are we to make of that? I, I think it says I... uh, everything you need to know about the state <laughs> of the, the movies that we're in right now. Um, I think uh, it's... You have movies, you know, by Steven Spielberg, West Side Story, Ridley Scott, uh, The Last Duel, um, you know, all these movies that, you know, and th those used to be literally about 10 or 15 years ago. Those were populist filmmakers. Those aren't, yeah, you know, the yeah. artsy, you know, filmmakers. Those are people making, you know, Gladiator and Jurassic Park and people, they can't, they can't get audiences out to their movies. But the one thing that uh, audiences seem to be rushing to go see is the Marvel movies. I mean, uh, Spider-Man's already become the top grossing film of the year. It, it already knocked off Shang-Chi, which held the title for months. And uh, I think, what is it, the second biggest opening weekend box office ever, I think? Yeah. Uh, behind since... Avengers. So, yeah, it's um I, for some reason, people want to want to risk seeing those movies. But the the adult dramas, uh, the ones that used to open those mid budget ones are really struggling now. What well, are you hearing if, in L.A., Oliver? If I can just stand in defense of of the Spider-Man for a moment. I mean, these films are often dismissed with the term fan service. But I would say that this particular Spider-Man movie sort of elevates the idea of fan service in the respect that it really like uh, showed the depth of affection for this particular character, you know, um, over the years across all different iterations of it uh, in a way that was sort of satisfying even beyond the current iteration in the Marvel Universe. You know, so I think that that it's not, yes, obviously the branding means a lot, but I also just think that they did a really good job of addressing the affection that, that we have, you know, uh, as, as a culture to this particular character. Um, did you uh, go to a, the a theatrical screening of Spider-Man? Yes, I went to 10.30 a.m. Uh, here in um, South Los Angeles at, uh, and... Um, and it was moderately crowded, you know, again, it was early in the morning. But as I mentioned in my review in the observer.com, um, let's see, about six minutes in, one of the reveals that no one was necessarily expecting, or at least not, not uh, that early in the morning, uh, a roommate of mine exclaimed loudly that he was so excited about it that he orgasmed. Um, <laughs> this right is a true the story. Yeah, it's With like great I've power comes great responsibility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that those reaction videos that are, you know, trending on on Twitter and the like, they're bonkers. Like I I I I I think you have to be a really hardened cynic not to smile at least seeing uh the joy that that fans of it are waiting for. And I also will have to tip my hat to 
to some of the actors in this thing with, you know, with no spoilers, but, you know, some of the actors and, and directors being able to keep a lid on a lot of this and denying certain things that wound up being in the movie, I, you know, hats off to them for that. <laughs> well, I'm going with you, Jason, though. I think uh, the this, this success of Spider-Man means we are going to speed up the move to uh, superhero and fan service films at the movies. And we're going to see probably fewer of the movies that the four of us like. So having said that, uh, let's get on, let's get on to West Side Story. Did you like it? And, and why, uh, why is nobody going to see it? Is it the wrong movie for the wrong yeah, time? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, when when it was first announced, you know, uh, I probably like all of us, we are we aghast, you know, how dare they re they remake West Side Story? Uh -huh. But you know, when I started thinking about it a little more, I thought, you know, okay, well, the 1961 film was a remake of the 1957 Broadway show, which was itself right. Romeo and Juliet, so it becomes a little less sacred, untouchable celluloid when you think about that. But um, but the movie really won me over from the beginning. I mean, I thought um, I thought. Spielberg's directing from that opening single take across the, you know, the gentrification wrecking ball, uh, the Puerto Rican flags versus the Irish pub. There's a lot going on there. And then the scene that really did it for me was that was the the famous you know the tonight tonight song uh, on the balcony uh -huh. where there was you know you yeah. had the yeah. the the fire escape used as a symbolic you know divider between them and ominous foreshadowing the bars across their face that kind of thing tonight, tonight, it all begun tonight i saw you on the I thought Spielberg really nailed it. If I if I had to nitpick a couple things, I I don't like that they moved the song "I Feel Pretty." Um, yes, to, exactly. To right Thank right you. to right Thank after you. the rumble, which which by the way, that's how it was in the Broadway show. I had to go back uh -huh. and look it up. The OBC soundtrack, it's bef it's um it's it's there, and and cool. After the song the, "Cool" the actually is swapped um uh in the in the new movie they move it before the rumble, whereas. Um, it's the other way in the 61 film. So I, I think Spielberg was trying to get back to the way it was on Broadway, but I don't think it works as well. I think that's where I, I would my head to Robert uh -huh. Wise 61 uh -huh. film because it feels uh -huh. weird to have such a bubbly, superficial, I feel pretty song right after such a heavy, um, you know, character, <laughs> a, a plot beat. It's too bad well, we think... don't have video because Oliver is just looking <laughs> disgusted with both of us. No, did you, did mean, you hate I... West Side Story? Oliver. No, 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 no. I, I, you know, I liked it. I mean, I think I feel pretty was intended to be kind of a breath, right? You know, uh, in all of this uh -huh. drama and to sort of ground it back into um, Maria's story, you know, uh, as it be, sort of became this kind of macho thing. Uh, listen, I'm a critic, you know, uh, and I, I know you're a reporter as well as a, a critic, Jason. You, you have done both, uh, Arch. I find um, discussion of box office to not be terribly interesting and not be very exciting. And, and I think it dominates way too much. It's like capitalism hands off my movies. I want to, I want to evaluate them on a different criteria, you know? And, um, and the fact of the matter is this has been a remarkable year for musical film, right? Across the board, you know, um, right. and some of those musical films people are going to love and some of them they're going to hate. I mean, this is the this is the year that Annette came out, right? I mean, uh, yeah. this was this was uh, a year of of um, of tick tick boom of of all sorts of interesting uh, you films. Know, but will it surprise you when I tell you that I actually liked Annette a lot? A little bit, a little bit, Arch. <laughs> what did you like about it? 
<laughs> I like the singing and I like the operatic style and I like the tragedy of it all. And uh, I liked that it was over the top and it certainly, uh, you know, I watched it uh, at home. It certainly came across and it certainly is not a movie I would recommend to anybody. <laughs> You're just a fan of puppet babies. I know you. <laughs> but I, I, I agree with you, though, about the box office thing. Like, I, it feels like, you know, on social media, everyone's talking about it. But I really think we, you know, the whole box office analysis um, model of journalism has totally jumped the shark. Um, but the, the one-two punch of the pandemic and streaming has just made it made that conversation obsolete. obsolete. Like, I think we should retire yeah. phrases of underperforming at the box office and stuff like that. I mean, we're in a whole new era. Well, okay. and also the, the, the elevated conversation of box office has happened at a time when we have had less and less culture journalists yeah, and less yeah. and less uh, critics. So we don't have a counter voice. Uh, well, I kind of just like to think of it as capturing uh, everybody's imagination, capturing society's imagination, you know, getting in the conversation. And I don't think West Side Story has achieved that. Here's another it, it one. had a hard road to hoe with, you know, uh, given... Um, the resistance to uh, to the story. I think there was a very strong resistance to once again, you know, some some white guys telling a story about Puerto Rican identity, even though they yeah. were very smart and, and sensitive about it. So I think they had hard part of today's conversation. I taped yeah. the original on Turner Classics and watched a little bit of it, and uh, it it's it's somewhat painful to watch now. Yeah. Yeah. So there. It's a it's a fascinating conversation, um, and uh, you know, and and the irony is at its at its time in '61, it was ahead of its time in so many ways, you know. Mm -hmm. But you know, but but looking back, yeah, it's you look back at some of that stuff, yeah. and you're like, wow, you you can't have you know white folks playing Puerto Ricans, etc. Um, so yeah, I know Spielberg tried to update it with you know they they have a lot of the Spanish spoken in in Spanish without English subtitles. Uh, you know they I think they were very tried to be very sensitive of it, but but yeah, you get back to that 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 thing about who who's telling whose stories. Um, it, it's fascinating, but I don't I don't it's very I don't know if um. I know what the new Spielberg one improves upon many elements of, of the 61. Mm -hmm. I think it's just as good, if not better in, in a lot of different ways. I just don't think it's, I don't think we can call it the same cultural phenomenon as 61 until, unless it yeah. actually wins 10 Oscars, yeah. including best picture and becomes the top grossing year movie of the year. You know, if it beats Spider-Man then, cause that's what the 61 film was. So if we're talking about a cultural moment, 61 not blows us out of the water. If you talk about quality, that's debatable. And also, the best thing about this movie, I think, was all of these new actors that we hadn't seen before, right? Uh, Ariana DeBose, yeah, Mike McFaith, yeah. you know, and and people don't go to the movies for people they haven't heard of. Um, so, you know, as a, that's another tough uh, aspect of, of uh, marketing this film. I am noticing a whole bunch of remakes and nostalgia-fueled stories this year. And uh, I wonder about that. And bringing that up, uh, let me bring up the movie Being the Ricardos, the I Love Lucy uh, behind-the-scenes story. What do we think of that? because I really wanted to see it. Well, I think that, um, you know, using another television metaphor, I think this feels like Aaron Sorkin jumping the shark a bit. Um, uh -huh. You know, yeah. I think that um, 
Uh, first of all, did anybody really remember that like uh, Lucille Ball was uh, had a communist controversy? I mean, was that part of the, the national imagination of Lucille Ball? I mean, uh, she's remembered as one of the funniest women that any of us have ever seen or one of the funniest performers ever on television. And then yeah, recreating her scenes. I yeah. just kind of thought, oh, I remember this. Oh, why are you doing that? You know, I, I would like to see Aaron Sorkin either have another uh, director do his scripts or direct another uh, writer's scripts. You know, I think he needs to divide up the duties. Um, Jason, you down. Well, that's that's true, because let's see. Rob Reiner did did a few good men for him. Right. Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. Social Network. Social Network, Moneyball. Yeah, you're right. They yeah. were all, was it Moneyball was what? Bennett Miller, I think. Yeah, that was Social ben Network, Miller. Fincher. Yeah, you're right. That You're right. That's a better combination. Yeah. And then there was another remake that I have been looking forward to all year. And Jason can guess this. I'm guessing you're going to say me. Nightmare Alley. <laughs> yes, Nightmare Alley. Oh, Nightmare Alley. And oh my God, I loved it. I'm going to go back and see it again. I just loved it. I watched it twice. It's so over the top and so campy. And Kate Blanchett is just so seductive as this psychiatrist who gets a hold of a carnival uh, con man and cons him herself. And I just, you know, <laughs> and this shouldn't surprise either one of you at all. Mr. Carla. Doctor, how about that? Please lay down. If you displease the right people, the world closes in on you very, very fast. You're a big noir fan. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, Arch. I, you know what frustrated me? I tried to go back and, and watch the original. Um, uh -huh. it, it's not on Amazon. It's, 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 it says unavailable. I thought, I thought Bezos had everything. No, you got to uh, go to the Criterion channel, Jason. You gotta, you, it's time to, uh, to make that investment. It's been part of its um, Fox film noir series that it's been had. So... So you open up that one and you'll have a whole stocking full of presents. Um, <laughs> uh, and it, it's worthwhile. Power. I mean, listen, Arch, it was just wonderful to see the way that that movie was crafted and created. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. The shots in that film, the, the sets in uh -huh. that film. Uh, I mean, uh, it was, um, it's like, it was such a seedy world, but at the same time, I wanted to live there. Uh, yeah. It's a strange combination. <laughs> And that's, to Oliver's point earlier, that's another one where the whole, we should, you know, you could, you if we if we did it purely on box office, we could say, oh, that that movie and West Side Story uh -huh. and all these are, are bombing. But like, to your guys' point, there's so much artistic, rich stuff to talk about. I mean, it's Del Toro, so. Yeah. It's almost pointless to have the box office conversation sometimes. And by the way, Jason, I cherry-picked uh, the 1947 version off of Turner Classics, and it may still be floating around uh, there. Uh, and I thought the new version improved on the old version because it went even darker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, it's so, even more noir. The noir yeah. is accentuated. Oh, <laughs> I sent Jason a list of like 30 movies the AFI was going to show in their noir festival and uh, and wished that I could be there to sit through every 
all you also sent me a you also sent me a hardback book signed yeah. <laughs> saying hey you're gonna love reading the postman always rings twice and all <laughs> but no i mean we, we've geeked out on noir for years do you guys have, not to yeah. sidetrack it yeah. but real quick which do you guys have a favorite noir Certainly. For me, it's uh, uh, it's double indemnity. Double uh, indemnity. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the cream of the crop. I can't stand it anymore. What if they do hang me? They're not going to hang you, baby. It's better than going on this way. They're not going to hang you because you're going to do it, and I'm going to help you. Yeah. Billy yeah. Wilder, you can't beat him. Although you know, the Touch of Evil was really cool, and you know, you have gosh, there's so many. Laura. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can yeah. go on and on, but oh, the Third Man, if that counts. That's third the, Man, of course. Uh, but yeah. double indemnity. The last time, well, and, one time in L.A., I actually drove to the Glendale train station yeah. just to see it. I drove to where they shot the final street in uh, that final scene. And, you know, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. If we want to do neo-noir, that's, I think that rivals even Double Indemnity. That's yeah, yeah. Again, fact, both I, of those movies, uh, Chinatown and Double Indemnity, you know, uh, a horrible indictment of society and Los Angeles in particular. And as soon as uh -huh. I saw them, I thought to myself, I need to move to that town. You know, uh, <laughs> I want to go work for water and power. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I can never figure out what went wrong in my brain that these movies that were clearly meant to indict these places were, you know, were basically tourist brochures for me, convincing me to come. <laughs> so I kind of, I promised Jason that we would get into uh, 10 best movie lists because I think we're all working on a top 10 movie list. And uh, well, if I could just of... jump in here, Jason posted his from WTOP and his is a terrific list. You could, you, you could look at Jason's list and really uh, use it to guide your whole holiday viewing season. I, I commend you Jason, considering how much you have to do over how many movies you saw in order to compile that list. So great job. Well, oh, I appreciate you saying that. I, I you know, I, I was fully expecting, uh, you know, the two of you guys to take me to tasks for some of these more uh, mainstream uh, options. I, I tried to balance uh, some of the, you know, awards contenders with, with the, I, I feel, I felt like I personally was, was a bit of a, a I'm getting a little soft in my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the movies that Jason managed to include on his list, Arch, uh, that I think uh, felt uh, yeah. through the radar for a lot of people was um, uh, an existential movie called Nine Days, uh, made by a oh. first-time filmmaker. Um, yes. Uh, had you seen that one? I have, and Jason told me I should watch it. I've got it on my, my queue to watch, but I haven't. So I'm thinking that let's let Jason go through his list and then you and me, Oliver, chime in if it's on our list and then we'll see what we've got left over. So Jason, I'm throwing it to you. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so I guess I got to preface it by saying uh, I did separate lists for documentary, which my favorite was Summer of Soul. I did a right. separate list for animation, Ryan the Last Dragon. And I did a separate for foreign language, which um worst person in the world i, worst I, person I, I told world. arch to watch that and yeah that that frozen in time scene i thought was just oh. magical but but also yeah. also just the way the characters believably interact and date and and break up and and heal after the breakup you know at the mental home and institution That's... and i mean all of it was i thought was great i'm with you on that one the scene yeah. um towards the end uh where the um the ex-boyfriend is talking about his life of going to record stores and comic yes and measuring out his life, I just, it just melted me. I mean, uh, that's uh -huh. gotta be my favorite scene of the year. 
uh, right alongside the uh, restaurant scene in Pig um, with uh, oh, right. Cage. I, I I want I know I know it's it's sort of a lesser scene in worst per I know worst person in the world everyone talks about the you know big frozen time scene the, the Amelie magical kind of moments but for uh -huh. me I'm so glad you zeroed in on that Oliver the that record scene or he's he's in the mental institution I think he, he and he's talk and he's talking to her his ex girlfriend the main character about how he doesn't recognize um the culture anymore how he grew up going to tan owning tangible things of art and cds and albums and things or i guess not cds that vinyl and um and yeah that scene just melted me it spoke to me and has yeah. worst person in the world even opened yet has it gotten i don't run? think so i think it's like january or something which nice is why i didn't it didn't include it on, on the list here and you know every every year it's hard uh, these we need to rebrand these lists as the best movie yeah. from from March to the following yeah, February, exactly. because <laughs> right. like you okay. know, twenty twenty one technically had Nomadland, Minari, One Night in Miami, Judas yeah. and the Black Messiah, but they you know they're Kaluuya already won his Oscar for that, so you know it's hard to include that. Um, so all right, start well, at the bottom and we'll chime in. Sure, exactly. So number ten, um, I went with I guess a little bit more of a mainstream western. Uh, the harder they fall, which was a net Netflix movie uh -huh. by uh, is it Jameis Samuel? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Um, it uh it 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 won uh with the African American Film Critics Association and our pal Tim Gordon with Black Reel Awards. It had a yeah, record twenty yeah. nominations, broke Black Panther's record for that. But I just thought it was a nice uh, a it was fun as hell. But b I thought it was sort of a nice um that next step in the evolution of the Sergio Leone spaghetti western. Or you know then we had Tarantino doing all of his cinephile homages to that stuff. And now this is sort of uh, you know that Samuel is is the cameras cutting in on punching in on each beat of the music. Like I, I thought it was really cool. Not to mention the cast of Jonathan Majors and Indris Elba, Isaac Beats, Lucky Stanfield, Oh Regina King. And even had C.A. Bozeman written on the train. Did anybody see? They did a shout out to the King oh, of Wakanda, yeah, Chadwick yeah. Boseman. I thought that was cool. <laughs> okay, so what, what else you got? Uh, and go quickly because we're the clock is ticking. <laughs> sure. All right. Nine, I had The Last Duel by Ridley Scott. Um, I think if you wanted Gladiator, you might be disappointed, uh -huh. but I love that it was more Rashomon, the three perspectives, and Scott showing the different angles for each and different perspectives. I thought that was really cool. Okay. Uh, Ada had Passing by Rebecca Hall. Again, we've talked passing, about that. Passing, that's before. on mine. I'm, I'm chiming in for Passing. Yes. Yeah, passing? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Um, you you know, I think I liked it a little less than my other, than my critic friend. Sure. But I, I thought okay. the black and white cinematography married to yeah. the black and white themes uh, better in a lot of movies. Uh, six, uh, seven, I had Nine Days, which uh, Oliver teed up before. It's sort of that this indie sci-fi, I guess, fantasy premise where it's, you know, souls waiting to be born. And Winston Duke has a great final monologue on the beach. Arch, mm -hmm. should definitely check that out. And that's um, a film six, that was a, a first-time filmmaker, Edson Oda. Lots of great first-time filmmakers this year. Yes, absolutely. Six, I wanted to include Mass by Fran Kranz. I know it's it was so, so heavy, yeah, you know, yeah, with these yeah. two parents de dealing with the school shooting. But the four performances I thought were all Oscar worthy. And but to me, the writing, too, like it was there wasn't the exposition like these characters knew why they were there. And so for yeah. us, but so they talk like that. But for us, it was like a mystery piecing together this human drama. And I loved that. Five, I had the tragedy of Macbeth by Joel Cohen, Denzel's yeah. Macbeth. Francis McDormand is and as Lady Macbeth and Corey Hawkins as McDuff. And the but way I thought Catherine Hunter stole the it. show. Say again. Zip through it. Yeah. I, I, last week on the podcast, I said I was in a production of the Scottish play in junior college. 
And I think it's still going on. <laughs> we dragged that thing out all night. It Is it going terrible. on longer than the LA Film Critics uh, meeting? <laughs> hey, keep it. <laughs> all right um i thought i thought i thought cohen was a master class of directing in, yeah. in that movie for sure four i had west side story we already covered that in depth right that's on mine three uh definitely this is my popcorn pick even though it didn't do well in the box office i picked in the heights uh, one of my pet peeves lists uh -huh. that uh are all movies from november and december and we forget about the summer. to me that was my favorite movie this summer with that abuela subway dream nightmare. And then of course the dancing on the side of the building. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda was the hardest working guy uh, of the year. This is directed by John Chu, but man, Miranda obviously oversaw the stage to screen here. And yeah, I, I yeah. loved In the Heights. I thought it was charming. And then of course, Belfast, number two, Kenneth Branagh. Right, um, yeah. You know, like Roma, That's but you know, I guess a little more sentimental. Um, and uh, I'm a sucker for any movie about grandparents. I, I miss mine dearly. So, buddy and, you, and grandpa, you see critics are sentimentalists to the core. Let me tell you, right? That's why of that Belfast. <laughs> yeah, some people, some people uh, are do not like Belfast at all, and some people are uh, just rave about it. It's I think it's kind of polarizing. To me, I, the, I like the sort of when he's getting into trouble, like the 400 blows, but then at the same time, there was like some family elements to it. I don't know. It spoke to me, all those scenes with them at the movie theater and stuff. Yeah. But I, and then number one, man, I am kind of a softie this year. Coda, <laughs> number Coda, one. Good for you. Um, good for yeah. you. You know, I, I, I there's certain art house Apple films TV. I recommend to my fellow critics and then blockbusters for, for family and friends. But this is the one I feel like uh -huh. across the board, I could recommend to anybody and they would come back raving about it. So actress, I went with this, you know, this and sound of metal last year to say again, Arch. That young actress that plays the daughter in Coda deserves an Oscar nomination. I don't think she's going to get it, but she deserves. It. Oh, very much. So to the learn the wants accent, to sing, to, to, sing, to, to learn, um, sign language and then to to add so much emotional coloring to that character it was a uh emilia jones it was just a remarkable yeah, yeah. remarkable performance i get a feeling that i never 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 had before you're the girl with the deaf family yeah, yeah. i just want to tell you right now and you sing interesting yeah you think that you know some a coming of age movie i think is really hard to nail it becomes so cheesy or like a tv yeah, movie yeah. some sometimes but for me i just thought it balanced it perfectly and you know similar to sound of metal last year with the sign language stuff yeah. and the sound dropping out i, I thought it picked the right oh, moment the to finale, drop about, so. man yeah when she yeah. sings and wow all that i need to get I have five movies tied for first place. Let's hear them. Oh, Here they are. Licorice Pizza. I just loved it. I just loved every minute of it. The Power of the Dog, I've seen twice. And I think that I can pretty much predict that it's going to dominate the Oscars. Although I think Belfast will win Best Picture. I think it'll Belfast, get director, probably. Yeah. Coda and Nightmare Alley. <laughs> Those yeah. are five movies that I would watch over and over and over again. And Power of the Dog, I've watched twice. Oliver, what have you heard that you've uh, those that you are, agree Those with are all great the... choices, guys. There's a, um, there's a few, you know, that, um, that stood out for me that were maybe more challenging. Uh, you know, I really, 
thought a lot about The Lost Daughter and the lead performance of Olivia yeah. Coleman and yeah. the first time uh, writing and directing of uh, the actor uh, Maggie G Gyllenhaal. Uh, that film really, uh, really moved me. Uh, I, I also, another challenging movies, these are not movies I necessarily watch over and over again, but I think about a lot, uh, The Card Counter and that amazing yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, in my Oscar second Isaac. five. The way yeah, he that, backs the cam, Schrader backs the camera out at the end reminded me of Hitchcock's oh, Frenzy, right? Where you back yeah. away. Man, gosh. Yeah, it was, uh, that, these are moments that really moved me. I mentioned um, Pig uh, and that- I, that, I that like movie. Pig. Yeah, I would almost so, put Pig on. And one that might be a little bit below the radar, a foreign language film that's on the streaming service movie, another first time filmmaker, a film called Azor about, um, about nefarious banking interests in the, in the 1980s. Uh, mm. And that film was, uh, is a mark of a really remarkable new, new director and new voice in wow. cinema. Well, That's speaking cool. of nefarious, I think it's time for a break <laughs> from Hound Radio, which makes this show possible. Right, Lou? Well, I guess, but I will, <laughs> I, I will tell you this. Hound Radio is doing something it's never done during the holiday, and I want to tell you what it is. Listen to this. Hound Radio has a special holiday gift just for you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Celebrate with the Jim Brickman Show, the gift of Christmas with Jim Brickman. I like this a lot because it's about showbiz. And Bob. Lots of room for hilarity to ensue. Facebook sensations Matt and Savannah are here to talk about their number one holiday album and the song that they did with yours truly. Pat Monahan from Train joins me to talk about their new song and Hallmark Channel movie. Tony winning actress and singer Kristen Chenoweth is with me to talk about why Christmas is happiness. The legendary voice of Journey, Steve Perry, is here to talk about his first ever Christmas album and how not to overindulge on your holiday party tour than the Jim Brickman Show. Don't miss the gift of Christmas radio special Christmas Eve and throughout Christmas Day here on your home for the holidays, Hound Radio. This is that too much by. fun. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you know what I would also throw into the mix this year, believe it or not, is the French Dispatch. Mm. And like West Side Story, I sat there and watched the entire credits and people applauded the credits of French Dispatch and West Side Story. This is an odd time. Oh, so what do you recommend for the week? I'm going to recommend a nap because I have done nothing but watch <laughs> movies nonstop for the last uh, two weeks. Uh, but listen, I, I have to say, um, watch a musical, watch a musical this week. Just watch one of these musicals. You know, uh, uh, Jason mentioned In the Heights, uh, there were a lot and they're fun and they're interesting and they're strange and they're classic. So I say find a musical that came out this year and watch it. Yes, Jason. there's enough doom and gloom in the world, but watch a musical and, uh, you know, be uplifted a little bit. I, unless yeah. you, I guess unless you pick West Side Story, that ends on a downer too. <laughs> but yes, it's been a year of the musical, animated musicals too. Yeah. Yeah. And I say find Nightmare Alley. <laughs> right. That's my idea of a great year. We're running low on time. It's always so much fun to have Oliver Jones and Jason Fraley together on one podcast. 
and uh, happy holidays to all of you. This has been a joy uh, doing this with you guys this year. It's been one of the great pleasures of the year. So thank you all. Thank you, Lou. Uh, And uh, a great new year to all of you. And I look forward to resuming this uh, next year. Happy holidays, everybody. And a happy holiday to you all, too. A reminder, next week we will be back. And joining us as our guest critic will be Vulture's Jen Cheney. Have a great week. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a pod cats.